Today's episode of Mission Impact is a little different. I worked on a short project with my son-in-law, Peter Cruz, where we were going to launch a podcast, Culture Fit, focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. New family obligations and career directions meant that we just did five interviews and five episodes. So I'm going to feature those episodes on my podcast here. While each of the people that we talk with in this series do not necessarily focus on the nonprofit sector, there's a lot to learn from each conversation. Today, Peter and I talked to Stephen Graves. Stephen hails from South Carolina and is a diversity, equity, and inclusion professional. He has a master's in health administration and helps healthcare organizations build more equitable and inclusive cultures. Mission Impact is the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your podcast host and nonprofit strategic planning consultant. everyone, welcome to Culture Fit, the podcast where we do our best to answer your diversity, equity, and inclusion questions that'll help you navigate the professional landscape, especially when you are not a culture fit. I'm Peter Cruz. And I'm Carol Hamilton. And today on the podcast, we're going to be talking to Stephen Graves and uh, looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, in the healthcare profession. It's a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy the episode. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Peter? I'm doing all right. Um, I had a good night's sleep because it's like 16 degrees over here. And you know when it's like really cold, you just sleep real hard. Um, so didn't move, not one bit. Um, how, <laughs> uh, so I'm well rested, well prepared for today. Um, today we do have a guest. Uh, our guest is Stephen Graves. How are you doing, Stephen? Good. Glad to be here. Um, would you, uh, could you provide some uh, background information on yourself? Yeah, I'm Stephen Graves. I'm a native of a small town in South Carolina, upstate South Carolina, called Greenwood. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, in between Greenville and Columbia. Um, I started uh, in the healthcare profession uh, dating back to uh, when I was in college, uh, interning at a disabilities and special needs facility. Um, also pursued my master's at the Medical University of South Carolina down in Charleston, South Carolina. So um, had a, have about a decade of experience in the medical field um, and just really glad to be here today and uh, have a conversation with you all. Glad to have you, for sure. I mean, you're our inaugural guest, so without you, the show actually wouldn't be possible. It will oh, just wow. Be. <laughs> that, that, is, that is a privilege and an honor and some pressure, too. <laughs> Uh-huh. No, no pressure at all. And Stephen, I think um, in and as you've been in that field, you've also stepped into specializing more closely in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Is that cor- is that right? Yes. Yeah, I've been doing the diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Uh, like I said, for the last ten years, and I really uh, it really opened my eyes up during my time at the Medical University of South Carolina, uh, working with limited English proficient communities, um, trying to make sure that they have access to uh, translators, interpreters, and really uh, just making sure that those services uh, meet and exceed their expectations to improve the patient experience. I was 
really blessed and honored to be around some great folks, great mentors um, at the MUSC community. And it just really opened my eyes to uh, the disparities that are in healthcare, in the medical community, and understanding how can we uh, address those to have a more equitable society and make sure that everybody's living to their full potential as far as their physical and mental health is concerned. Hmm. Great. And, and this is coming, this first, like my question, like it's coming from a place of ignorance because I don't know anyone else who works in the medical field, um, especially in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, is there, what are, what are things that are similar from the medical per- field um, in DEI that are, that exist in nonprofit or corporate spaces? And then if there's anything that's unique to there, could you like shine some light on those? Yeah, that's a great, good question. I think the similarities are that in order for shifts to be made, in order for real change, transformational change to happen, you've got to have senior leadership commitment. Whoever is at the top of the organization has the most power, they have the most influence. Oftentimes they can control where energy is being placed, where resources are being placed. So the one similarity, the main similarity is really around that senior leadership commitment piece. I think another similarity is also around being data and evidence-based driven, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times the mistake that people make in this particular aspect of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion is because there's such an emotional tie and pull to it with feelings and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, it can trigger a lot of people. People don't take a logical, maybe rational and uh, evidence-based approach. And I think whether you're in the nonprofit space, whether you're in the corporate America space, whether you're in healthcare like myself, you still need to be driven by data right? Collecting uh, what we call real data, race, ethnicity, and language data, uh, collecting sexual orientation and gender identity data. So that's another similarity in in terms of uh, collecting that data. And then a third similarity would be around using that data to set and drive real goals in terms of Mm -hmm. what are going to be some realistic goals that we can measure and that can kind of help us chart our path forward. I would say the main difference in healthcare is that you are literally talking about life and death. Right. Um, A lot of people in other spaces can say, "Okay, well, this is nice to have. But Mm -hmm. if you don't have the right type of uh, language access programming in place, effective language access program, it can literally be a life or death situation. There can be some uh, dire consequences if you're not focusing on equitable outcomes. So I would say that would be the biggest difference when it comes to uh, working in this space in the healthcare lens versus any other uh, field. Thank you. Um, I think the, that last bit does stand out for me about you know it being about life or death. I think that probably because my professional experience is all in nonprofit, like youth f- focus, youth empowerment, um, and because it doesn't have to do with life or death, it g- provides that opportunity to second guess and like prolong and like require more patience because the senior leaders have the option to just like maybe test it a little bit, but then if it doesn't fit, like it succeed, then, but does that mean that uh, things, decisions come quicker in, in, in the medical profession or no? No, it doesn't. It's still, there's And there are huge organizations that you're dealing with as well. I mean, huge systems exactly. with so many people and um, exactly. that, that, that makes the complexity even, even more so I would imagine. Exactly. Right. When you're talking about a large health system, 
I've worked in health systems ranging from 8,000 employees to 25,000 employees. Mm -hmm. So it takes a long time to, uh, you know, naturalize this across the landscape, if you will, when it comes to those large healthcare entities. Um, there is a higher sense of urgency, I would say, right now, mm -hmm. based mm -hmm. on, you know, the events that happened last year. I think America is having a reawakening, and that's, you know, happening in the medical field as well. When mm -hmm. you're thinking about uh, the COVID disparities uh, related to the pandemic, black and brown communities being hit harder than other uh, communities of color and, um, you know, white communities. So when you're thinking about that, the sense of urgency has, you know, elevated uh, recently. Mm -hmm. But, you know, those same barriers when it comes to kind of that bureaucratic nature, the hierarchy is still there. And that's unfortunate, but I think, you know, again, I'm hopeful and optimistic that right now there's going to be kind of a shift that happens as a result of uh, current events. And I can imagine that that sense of crisis, actually, it could be helpful and it could also be a hindrance of, oh, we've just got to focus on COVID right now. That you know, We can't focus yeah. on those those other things, quote unquote. Um, and I imagine that plays out as well. It does. It does. And, and being able to prioritize and what I try to the, the advice that I would give to leaders when it comes to um, that resistance, right, in terms of saying, okay, we got to put this off because there's other priorities, is saying, hey, mm -hmm. they, these are priorities within priorities, right? So yeah. whatever the conversation is, whether it's around COVID, whether it's around uh, your EHR, electronic healthcare record, there's going to be a lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion within all of those priorities. Uh, maybe you're building and expanding uh, your practices, uh, expanding a wing at your hospital, you've got to have some consideration for, okay, how are we gonna make this accessible, right? For a person with disability? How are we mm -hmm. gonna make sure that language, uh, signage is translated in a way that folks can understand who don't speak English as a first language? So these DEI themes are gonna be embedded into any initiative, any project uh, that a hospital organization is gonna be working on. And that's kind of the, case that I always try to make when it comes to uh, prioritizing this work. And you mentioned um, data and evidence-driven. Can you give us an example of how that's that's been helpful in kind of bringing that perspective or, you know, bringing that evidence uh, to the table? Yeah, so uh, a lot of uh, the organizations that I've had the pleasure to work inside of and consult with surveying, right? So uh, doing engagement surveys and really asking some core questions around inclusivity and inclusion saying, you know, do you feel respected mm -hmm. in the walls of these hospitals? Do you feel that our patients who are racial, racially diverse, ethnically mm -hmm. diverse, linguistically diverse, do you feel like they're being respected, being treated the same? That data can provide a baseline and it can really be useful and valuable to getting you some really great information that you can build off of. So that's one part of the data collection that I'm referring to. Another aspect is looking at patient experience scores, right? So this is something we all can relate to, whether you're inside of a healthcare system or you are receiving services as a patient, everybody can either uh, deliver you know, how their experience was or we're gonna hear how the experience was on our yeah. end as healthcare providers. That data can be stratified, sorted by race, by ethnicity, by language, by age, by all of these different demographic factors. And you can realize contrast and you can see those contrasts uh, in that data if, again, if the organization's willing to make that commitment to look at their data differently to yeah. see, okay, 
there's a difference because differences exist. And that takes a little bit of commitment and it takes a little bit of discomfort to look at that and Mm -hmm. say, okay, white patients are having a much better experience when they're interacting with their nurse at the bedside than a black patient is. So yeah. um, those that that type of data will really help tell a story and validate for you know the non-believers, if you will, mm-hmm. why this work is so important and needed. Speaking of non-believers, uh, uh, one one question uh, that we were going to ask you is the anti-vaxxer community. Yeah. Um, how has that, especially over the past year during COVID, how has that impacted? Uh, I guess the increase of people in like, coming into the hospital um, and is there a community that exists within the staff, the medical professionals that are also anti-vaxxers? Yeah, I would say that when it comes to anti-vaxxers and those who may be a little bit reluctant to mm-hmm. taking the vaccine, it depends on the communities that you're talking about, right? So mm-hmm. we're talking about black and brown communities there is an understandable and rightfully so having a distrust to (laughs) uh, the medical community, right? Because Mm -hmm. of history and because of what we've seen, not only in the healthcare space, but in all of our institutions across America. So uh, the medical community as providers and professionals have have done significant harm, um, Mm -hmm. you know, over the last however hundred many years um, to validate, you know, those concerns and those Uh, you know, those anti-vaxxers, if you will. So yes, whether it's a staff member of color, whether it's a patient of color, I've seen it on, you know, both ends. And what part of the work that the medical community has to do is to regain trust of Mm -hmm. those communities by engaging uh, more, you know, effectively and more creatively to make sure that, hey, we are here, you know, for your best interest at hand, uh, you know, and alleviating those concerns. But yes, there's definitely... Uh, that reluctance piece when it comes to the vaccinations, whether it's, you know, staff member, black staff members of color or uh, folks, you know, out in the community. And can you say more, a little bit more about that history of the, that really drove that distrust? Yeah. So I would say, you know, dating back, you know, you can Google uh, the Tuskegee experiments, right? You yeah. can uh, think about how uh, women of color, right, who were pregnant, uh, how they've been treated. So, there's a, a slew of history and examples in terms of uh, that level of distrust. And I would say, going back to that language access piece, uh, there are some you know, really uh, keystone cases in terms of um, capstones that, that suggest, okay, one word was mistranslated, right? Mm-hmm. One word was misinterpreted and it led to a misdiagnosis. It led to uh, the wrong arm being amputated, the wrong leg being amputated. So there's several and numerous examples of that uh, distrust that has been, uh, you know, building over time. Yeah. And I would also wonder um, with being that, I guess, the white community is more of an individualistic community and mm-hmm. people of color tend to be, you know, you know, uh, more of a collective, so to speak. And if one, one patient has a negative experience, it will already create a whole narrative for their entire community about whether or not they will even, you know, if I'm not feeling well, whether or not I even go to the hospital because they mistreated my friend, they mistreated my mother, they mistreated whomever. Right. So that's that. Yeah, that 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 data that you mentioned earlier is so much more significant, like as equally as significant as it is about the historical context. I would say as well, right? Right. Yeah. That that data is current too, right? Mm-hmm. So if you think about 
as recent as five years ago. I won't say the school, but there was mm-hmm. a medical school and the students, the white medical residents actually thought that bl- black people's blood coagulated quicker and mm-hmm. that <laughs> they literally thought that black people's skin was thicker. Yeah. <laughs> and that led to a misdiagnosis and mismanagement of pain and, mm-hmm. and under uh, valuing pain management and um, you know, prescribing for pain. So the data uh, most currently and most recently, uh, it provides more than enough evidence uh, to you know, focus on uh, communities of color and ensuring they have equitable care. So yeah, that data piece is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, looking, you mentioned this, but uh, looking at the past year, um, what we were, we've, we've spoken a little bit about the experience for the patients or potential patients or the community. For the medical professionals, how has that last year been um, in regards to DEI, being that there's like an increased sense of urgency? Yeah, depending on the communities, right, that you're speaking of within the medical community, right? So mm-hmm. the black and brown professionals in the medical field who I've had the opportunity privileged to work around, they're saying, okay, well, it's about time, right? It's about time that we're having these conversations, right? Yeah. It's long overdue. So that's mm-hmm. by and large the, the sentiment that I've heard from uh, communities of color. When it comes to the white professionals, there are some who they're on board, right? How mm-hmm. can I be an ally? How can I do better as mm-hmm. a provider to better serve my patient? But then of course you have those who are saying, okay, we're just one race. We're the human race, right? Or I'm colorblind. I don't see color, right? (laughs) And and you're thinking to yourself, okay, that's well-intentioned, but there's some blind spots there, right? And then, you know, on the very far end of the spectrum, you know, you have those folks who have been in the medical field for years, right? Uh, Maybe 30, 40 years. And they they just were not trained this way, right? They didn't, yeah. they weren't trained to have any sort of cultural humility when mm-hmm. thinking about the patients, the diverse patients that they're serving. So they kind of have a, a mindset in place that, you know, they kind of develop over time and, they, you know, develop since their training that they really have to kind of think through and say, okay, what, what do I need to uncover? What can I start getting curious about to be a better provider? So yes, yeah, definitely a range across the spectrum in terms of the response to, uh, the DEI efforts and the need for DEI efforts. Mm. Uh, I have just one more question, uh, really. Um, Carol, do you have any other questions? No, not right now. Okay. Um, with the, you know, as we're, you've experienced the past four years, right, with administration, do, court, like that connected with the pandemic and how people have interacted with Medicare or med- the medical systems, um, are there things that you are optimistic about with the change of administration in the, in regards to the medical profession? Because um, I know that people think it's a very it's a clean slate. Like a new president, we're all good now. We got the right guy in office. It's no worries. Like we're all good, right? We're all family. I'm colorblind, and we love each other now again. Um, <laughs> uh, is that is there any optimism moving forward? Um, any like short-term goals or long-term goals? Yeah. Yeah, I'm optimistic about from what I've heard from the new administration that has entered is that they are relying on science. Yeah. They are going back to that data-driven evidence-based piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not, you know, saying things that may not be true or may not be validated with data. 
So I'm looking forward to hearing facts uh, mm -hmm. from, you know, scientists, from medical experts. And if they don't know the answer to something, saying, I don't know the answer, rather yeah. than making something up or uh, forecasting something that's not true. Right. Yeah. And, you know, not to get too much into my leanings here, but <laughs> I'm looking forward to not being told to inject ourselves with yeah. uh, or drink Clorox or other, you know, uh, substances that may not, you know, that would probably be harmful to us. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I'm also optimistic around the focus on disparities. Right. So mm -hmm. I think one of the things that I saw coming out of this new administration is a task force that's going to be developed for health disparities, health equity, especially, you know, during the uh, as we continue to navigate COVID, right? So mm -hmm. I'm optimistic that there's gonna be a renewed focus on communities of color, of being a black man myself. I think that, you know, that's critically important. So mm -hmm. there's a lot to be optimistic about, you know, just on a general level. I mean, it's, I'm just looking forward to not being as exhausted, right? Yeah. So, and, and I think that goes for everybody, right? Whether, no matter what party you support, I think, you know, what everybody can attest to the last four years is that it was just a level of exhaustion. Whether mm -hmm. you were defending, uh, you know, the former administration or whether you were radically opposed to the, you know, former administration, what we can all agree to is that it will just be kind of a lower temperature, if you will, when it yeah. comes to uh, what's happening in D.C. and how it's affecting our lives. Yeah. It is, it is, it is wild to think that facts were political, like, right. like <laughs> the facts became political. But we we yeah. have to defend facts are a partisan issue. Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, as you said, it's long overdue, uh, this, this reckoning that we're having. Um, and, uh, as, you know, as groups come together and, and start really digging into the data that's there, and many people have already researched these things, but bringing it all to, you know, together into into light to the, you know, general public through the press, I think um, it should hopefully move things along. Yeah, that's, that that is, I'm definitely hopeful. Um, you know, again, with the information, I think that with, you know, the, uh, you know, not having so much misinformation floating around, I think that'll definitely go a long way. Mm -hmm. All right, Any, well, thank, yeah. thank you thank so much. You. All right, yeah, thank you all for having me, and um, I was glad to, glad to chat with you all today. <laughs> thank you, Stevie. We, we were, hopefully we'll have you back at some other point. Looking forward to it, thank you. Yeah, that would be fun. So I was particularly struck by his uh, our conversation about the mistrust of the medical profession and and you named uh, folks anti-vaxxers which I often think of as as white people who are afraid <laughs> of vaccinations for their children because of conspiracy theories around autism and uh -huh. and lots of misinformation there but I think that um, history uh, is, is something that I think a lot of white people are not aware of and mm. um, yeah it's deep and it's going to take a long time to, to correct yeah, and hopefully we're on, being that, we, as we mentioned, that facts are now political, like, I hope that that starts to deteriorate at some point soon, so that uh, this will lessen. So the facts so are no longer political? <laughs> facts are no longer political, and the appropriate, people are vaccinated appropriately. appropriately. Um, I think a part that stood out to me was the idea of, and it's something that's open-ended, is how 
do we regain the trust of those communities that have been negatively impacted? Um, I feel like that exists everywhere in every single uh, organization, nonprofit or corporate. Um, how, how do you make sure that people are open and, and are receptive? That, that seems to be like a, an ongoing conversation, an ongoing dilemma because of how deeply rooted and systematic our racism is, our sexism, our homophobia is, and how ingrained that is in, in our culture. So um, I feel like we'll, we'll probably touch on that in every single episode. Yeah, and I don't think it's even, re, it's not regain, right? It's, it's, mm. it's start to build Yo, that trust. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, well, I think that's it for this week's episode. So if you'd like us to attempt to answer one of your diversity, equity, inclusion questions or scenarios um, for us and our guests, please feel free to send those to culturefitpod at gmail.com. Look forward to seeing those uh, emails. So culturefitpod.gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of those. Try them. Try both of them. No. Maybe somebody. Try the right one. <laughs> uh, all right. We'll see you next time, everyone. All right. Thank you so much. See you. Bye. Talk to you soon. Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. Download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at gracesocialsector.com resources. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mission Impact. I really appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. You can find out how to connect with our guest, Stephen Graves, as well as my co-host for this episode, Peter Cruz, as well as any links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at Mission Impact Podcast slash show notes. I'd like to do a shout out to North Strauss Riggs and April Kuster for their production support. And take a minute to rate and review Mission Impact on Apple Podcasts or where you find your podcasts. It helps other people find the podcast and we really appreciate it. Talk to you next time.